Hi, my name's Clayton, and you're listening to the Isaiah 43 podcast, where we explore how God has formed us, redeemed us, and how he calls us today. Each week we will journey through scripture to understand all that God has done and what exactly his call is for our lives today. Today is week 16, and so we enter into an apologetics week. This week I want to talk about a topic we have seen promoted, discussed, etc., etc. on TV. We can't go anywhere anymore without it being directly in our faces. Last Apologetics Week, we tackled a topic where people tried to twist Scripture to fit their lifestyles. In the process, we will likely end up upsetting people when we bring out the hard reality that the Bible directly condemns specific lifestyles in today's podcast. I must admit, that I am certainly tired of people's twisting scripture to fit their own agendas. They are taking things in the Bible out of context but they, because they once heard some smart-sounding person on social media say something they liked and have just continued to repeat the same nonsense over and over again. We can't do that as Christians. We cannot take scripture and make it mean something we want it to say because we don't like how it makes us feel. Sometimes the Bible gives us hard truths to face and to change our lives. Next Apologetics Week, so week 18, I want to discuss why we base our morality and our lives on the Bible that was thousands of years after it was written. So be sure to come back for that. But for now, we have to face reality. The Bible does not change because we want it to. When we come to the text to see what it says, we must always understand the context of the words we are reading. When we come across something that we read and we want to know how it applies to our lives, first, we must always look at what the Bible says. Whatever you're thinking about, you must see if the Bible discusses it anywhere and what it has to say. For example, let's say we came across a passage of Scripture where we read something seemingly condoning idol worship. Spoiler alert, you won't find that. But let's just say, for the sake of argument, you did read something that seems like it could condone it. In that case, you must look throughout the Bible and see what it says about idol worship. You will see that overwhelmingly the Bible condemns this. So your thought that idol worshiping was okay is actually wrong and we cannot ascribe to this idea. And so the same applies to what we will be talking about today. These false teachers on social media can tout this ideological nonsense as much as they want. But the truth is that Scripture very clearly goes against what they're saying. God's Word tells us that teachers will be judged twice and held to a higher standard so that God will will deal with them. Now, the topic we'll be discussing today is the transgender ideology. Now, there is so much that could be said on this topic. More intelligent theologians than I have certainly done a better analysis on this than what you will have in today's episode. We as Christians must realize the reality of this topic and handle the matter befitting us as followers of Christ. My goal today is not to tackle one aspect or another of the trans movement, but to face the attacks we see in Scripture, where prominent religious teachers on TikTok have twisted the Word of God. Now, I should be clear here. I do not have TikTok. I generally try to avoid garbage dumps. But I find many of these arguments through various YouTube channels that share these talking points. Some of them will be mentioned in today's episode if you want to check them out for yourselves later. But I also want to say that there are a wide variety of arguments made by these so-called teachers who take various things about the Bible and seek to twist them to their own agendas. 
the primary one that I've been seeing a lot lately on a has been on a particular excuse me passage of scripture located in the book of Matthew. So today's topic or today's goal rather is to read the passage in Matthew and the surrounding verses to understand the context. We'll look at what that has to say and compare it to a few other passages of scripture to make sure what we are discussing is not something taken out of context on this side of the argument. And then we'll look at what a commentator, a Christian apologist, and an early church father had had to say on this topic to see if maybe 2,000 years of church history is wrong, and if the only recently invented ideology is actually correct. We have our hands full today. This will, more than likely, be a longer episode. That's okay. Because this is something that we must understand very clearly. But we must go in with open hearts and open minds and be mindful of God's Spirit guiding us through. So, let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, this wonderful day that you have made. We ask that today's lesson will bring honor and glory and praise to you, and that our hearts will be open, our minds will be receptive of what it is you have to say this day, Lord. Again, we just praise you, we thank you, we glorify you, and we sit here patiently waiting for your deliverance. Please let us retain the information that is spoken and discussed today so that if we see these claims in the future, we will be able to give a defense for the hope that we have within us. Lord, just guide this study. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so today our primary reading from Scripture comes from Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 15. It is particularly verse 12 that trans activists often cite as evidence that trans ideology is actually in the Bible. These activists claim that Jesus, in verse 12, states that there can be more than male and female at birth. So is Jesus actually saying this? Does the Bible affirm that there are more than two genders? Well, let's read and find out. Once again, we're reading Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 15, from the English Standard Version, or the ESV. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh? What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate? They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better to not marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been made so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. 
Then children were brought to him, that he may lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for it's to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. All right, so, like I said before we read, verse 12 is where these activists and teachers like to point out and say that this is the basis for their justification regarding gender ideology. Well, I guess that could be the case for someone who maybe doesn't understand what a eunuch is, or who has just completely ignored the rest of the context of Matthew chapter 19. I guess it's important that we make it clear now. A eunuch is someone throughout history who has been recognized as a man who has been castrated. Typically, eunuchs will serve in royal offices where they cannot be a threat to any of the women they serve, or to the king they serve because they cannot secure a male heir. This is, I would say, 99.99% of the time done against their own will. It was done to them even if they didn't want it to happen. Now, what about the context of Matthew chapter 19? Well, Jesus clearly states in verses 4 through 6 that God made male and female from the beginning. He said that when a man and woman get married, they are no longer two but one. There's a whole teaching on marriage that we could have, but that's for another time. For now, we need to highlight that Jesus, God in the flesh, truth incarnate, clearly does not affirm gender ideology, but actually outright says that there is only man and woman. From the beginning, God created man and woman, which is how life was, is, and will forever be. We see this very clearly in Genesis, when God made Adam and Eve. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say there are more than two genders. What is Jesus talking about then when he is talking about eunuchs is actually a matter of celibacy, which lines up with the conversation that Jesus was having with the Pharisees. They had been talking about marriage and divorce, and then Jesus added a discussion about celibacy to the conversation. For the eunuchs made by birth that Jesus refers to is perhaps a a birth defect or a natural occurrence where the procreation of children is simply just not possible. As we've already discussed many times, becoming a eunuch was done to somebody. So that is what Jesus refers to when saying that there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs. Then the last portion of eunuchs that Jesus refers to is those who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. Virtually every New Testament scholar would likely agree that Jesus is not discussing self-castration or mutilation of one's genitals to match a gender ideology. Instead, Our Lord refers to a lifetime devotion to chastity. Besides, I don't know any trans-identifying person who would say they transitioned because they were doing it for the kingdom of God. Because again, that goes against what the Bible teaches. And I think the truth is, they know that. Now, now that we've discussed Matthew chapter 19 and the obvious false claims that people have made there, Let's take a look at what other people have had to say on this topic. And just a heads up, since there's so much to be said, we have several people to examine. First and foremost, I think it's essential to look at church history. Maybe the church has taught something contrary to what we now think about the Bible blending with gender ideology. For that, let's look at what Origen of Alexandria wrote on the subject. Origen was an early church father born somewhere between uh, somewhere around, rather, 185 A.D. and died circa 253 A.D. 
He was a prolific theologian for the early church, and he wrote a lot. Origen wrote and provided commentary actually on Matthew chapter 19, verse 12. He said, quote, Since the man who has mutilated himself, in fact, is subject even to a curse, for to cut off our members has been from the beginning a work of demonical agency and satanic device, that they may bring a bad report upon the work of God, that they may mar his living creature. End quote. So it looks like Origen would agree that what Jesus is talking about is a matter of celibacy and not affirming that people can remove their body parts to become the other gender. In fact, Origen even says that to do so would be demonic. So if the early church believed that Jesus' words were not an affirmation of gender ideology and were opposed to it before it was even hatched by Alfred Kinsey and John Money, what about now? Do modern church and Christian scholars and apologists still say the same thing? Well, we know that they do, but what about the what do they teach for those who don't? Well, for that, I want to take a look at Professor Craig Keener. Keener is a Baptist pastor, a theologian, and a professor at Asbury Theological Seminary. Dr. Keener has also written extensively with numerous books and articles. He has also worked on various Bibles, such as the New International Version Cultural Background Study Bible. It's a long name, but hey, it, it's a pretty good book. In, in his book, The Gospel of Matthew, a social, socio-rhetorical commentary, Keener writes, quote, The figurative sense of celibacy, of which Jesus means the language, would have been less jarring, but nonetheless offensive, to most of his contemporaries. Although some pietists in the wilderness may have had preferred celibacy, mainstream Jewish thought society regarded marriage and childbearing as solemn responsibilities. End quote. So we see that once again, what Jesus is talking about is not gender ideology. He's saying there are, he is not saying that there are more than two genders. He certainly isn't saying that there can be a man inside a woman's body and vice versa. As YouTuber Inspiring Philosophy says, quote, the Bible knows no other genders than male and female. But just in case, the point is not clear. Let's look at one man who has seemingly made his life goal to debunk and defeat gender ideology. Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh is a political commentator, commentator for The Daily Wire, a YouTube content creator, and a devoted Catholic. He's written a few books on modern Christianity and modern politics. His latest book is titled, What is a Woman? In the book, Walsh uncovers the deeply disturbing roots of gender ideology and how activists are trying to target children. What is a Woman is also a documentary featured only on The Daily Wire. In his book, Walsh writes, quote, The Bible never actually mentions anything that we would recognize as the modern conception of transgenderism. It was a tenuous logic chain at best, and I soon realized that this entire argument has already been thoroughly disproven in a pro-LGBT publication called Grace and Lace, nonetheless. The author in Grace and Lace mints no words. The principal theme relating the transgender, transsexual person to the eunuch, as described in the Bible, is at best a questionable connection. The whole theory rests on conjecture that is dis disputable and sometimes obviously incorrect. End quote. 
We see everywhere that the Bible does not corroborate gender ideology. And there is no way that the two can coexist. This issue goes directly against the Holy Scriptures, as we explored in week 14. It is a sin at best, and demonic at its worst. God created male and female in the beginning, and God does not make mistakes. He has always intended it to be that way. You cannot change your gender. The Bible does not teach that you can change our gender. No one believed that until the beginning of the 20th century when sick and depraved men sought to rid the world of Judeo-Christian values to live the sexually perverse lifestyles they wanted. Every day we see more and more of our young people fall prey to this ideology and lifestyle. They are so convinced by their peers and mentors and others that it's just okay, but it's not, and the Word of God tells us so. It is a sin, and just like any other sin, we must pray for, love, and help those who have fallen into it, but we cannot condone it. We cannot allow it, and we certainly cannot twist Scripture to fit whatever we want it to. And look, I know today this was a lot of information, but it's important that we know this and understand this. So keep studying, keep praying, keep growing closer to God. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless.